Hi, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is 112BK. Coming up, underestimate Nini Wynn and you'll get cut. While she may have had to pack her knives and go, she made Brooklyn proud on this season of Top Chef. My whole focus throughout this whole thing was stay true to myself, showcase the food that I grew up with, and not be like take it so seriously. I mean, it's a serious competition, but have a little fun with it. And then Nini dominated in the kitchen, but her front of house skills were her downfall during restaurant wars. We'll get some tips for restaurant goers from a 20-year front-of-house veteran. We're right. here in the business of trying to make you happy. Like, the, we're all imperfect. I'm human. The chef is human. The cooks are human. If you tell me within a, ta- a good, timely frame, the chef will make you whatever else. And that's really no skin off our backs. She showed up in episode one wearing a hot pink jumpsuit and a non-threatening smile. And then she proceeded to murder the competition. You know those small dinosaurs in Jurassic Park with the neck things that Newman thinks are really cute, but then they spit blinding poison at him and eat his face? Nene Nguyen is like that. Her run on this season's Top Chef may have been short, but it was mighty. Nene is a transplant from New Orleans, co-founding culinary director at Cook Space here in Brooklyn. And she joins us to talk about immigration, inspiration, and haunting sauces. Nene Nguyen, welcome to 112BK. Thank you for having me. I wore a jumpsuit today just for you. I love it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, so you are fresh off of Top Chef. Um, yeah. They kept you sequestered until you were finally off the show. And I want to get back to that in a little bit. But tell us, how was the experience for you? It was a crazy experience. I've never really done TV before or competed in a cooking competition like this. And it was scary. (laughs) It was scary. It was good. I made a lot of good friends. And it was... I learned a lot about myself. What was scary about it? Was it the TV element? Was it the competition element? Yeah, I think both combined. Yeah. Because you never know how you're going to react in a competition, one, and then have it all recorded. And, like, I was scared that they would just sit, like, show every everything that I said. But they only showed the funny stuff. <laughs> and I think um, just nerves, really. It was very intimidating coming into the competition. I mean, the competitions on Top Chef, the challenges, I guess, seem to me so artificial. Like, maybe not as artificial as a show like Chopped, where it's like, you've got condensed milk and caviar, make a dish. Yeah. But is it actually, do you face similar challenges when you are in a professional kitchen? I wish that it was more defined, like Chopped, where it's like, you have to use these ingredients. Sometimes they're like, you know, just make whatever you want. And it's like... What do you make at that point? I'm right. so indecisive. And so it was... Make a dish that painful. defines yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like way deeper than, you know, cook what's in the basket. So I think that was really challenging. And it made you kind of dig deep. And some people were better at it and some people were not. My whole focus throughout this whole thing was stay true to myself, showcase the food that I grew up with, and not be like take it so seriously. I mean, it's a serious competition, but... But have a little fun with it. And it turned out that you were quite good at it. So the first couple episodes, there's like a quick fire challenge and then there's an elimination challenge Mm -hmm. for the Top Chef Uninitiated. Yeah. And you won two elimination challenges in a row. Yeah. Were you surprised by that? Did you surprise yourself? I was so shocked. I was like, I know that. I did well, especially on the second one with pastries, but I didn't think that they were going to let me win twice. And then when they said it, I was like, I didn't think that was going to happen. I 
feel like editing, they're always like, why is she never excited when she wins? Because I'm like, is this real? Like, <laughs> are you sure you said my name? I, but I felt bad because I had pastry experience as well as Kelsey. So we were like in our corner just being really quiet. And we definitely had an advantage on that elimination challenge. But then I felt really guilty about it. And then I realized like, you know, there's going to be a lot of other challenges that other people might have an advantage on. So you won two challenges in a row. One was for pastry, and then one was for this, like, spoon bread shrimp etouffee thing that was mm-hmm. called haunting Yeah, <laughs> one of the judges. Yeah. Um, I thought I was going to go home for that challenge. Really? I didn't exactly know what I wanted to make, and then... I've made spoon bread before, and so I have my own take on it, and then I decided to make the etouffee sauce. But then during that challenge, two hours, one of my teammates, he's falling behind, so I spend a lot of time helping him, and I didn't really take the time to refine my dish. And so I was so scared that it was, like, under-seasoned, that the sauce was not the right consistency, and I was wrong. I, like, spent – between filming, there's always – like hours between sets. And so I was basically almost in tears the whole like three hours waiting for a judge's table. And then when they said my name, that's why I cried. I was like, I was like, what? You're not going home. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) Um, did you find like power dynamics were difficult within groups? And, you Mm -hmm. know, you have a bunch of people who are used to running their own kitchens. Exactly. I think that um, there's a lot of very strong, assertive people in a room. And I could have just been quiet, but then I i don't know. I knew that the producers loved it because he was smiling whenever I kind of shut it down. <laughs> but I think that, especially with the team challenges, sometimes it does take someone to, t- to be a leader and just say, like, okay, herd everyone to, like, the right direction. And I was actually kind of surprised with myself that I, like, took it. But then I'm always, I've always been known to be a little too bossy. <laughs> a little too bossy. Okay, well, it served you well. Yeah. Um, so you won these two challenges and then Restaurant Wars. Yeah. For people who haven't seen Top Chef, can you explain what Restaurant Wars is and what yeah. was surprising about it this season? Um, so Restaurant Wars is a challenge. Usually you have about two days to make a complete restaurant from design to service to menu and prep. And for this year, they decided instead of having two restaurants to have three and way early on. Normally, you would see it on maybe episode eight. Right. And this teams of two teams of four. Exactly. So it's like top eight make restaurant. And so at that time, normally on other seasons, people will um, kind of know each other, know their strengths, know their weaknesses. And here it's maybe realistically maybe a week and a half into knowing these people that we have to make a restaurant together mm-hmm. and it was it kicked my butt <laughs> so traditionally there's sort of like two positions mm-hmm. that can either make or break the team yeah. the head chef and front of house yes and those are the people who often get sent home if something yes. goes wrong exactly and you volunteered for yeah. front of house can yeah. you tell me why you did that i actually started in the front of house in college I've worked every different station there was to front of house, and I just fell in love with the industry. And that's why I took the leap and went to the back of house, because I loved food. I loved giving it to people. I've served so many, like, in so many different ways and bartended. And and so I felt like I was qualified 
out of the team. I mean, there were some people who were as executive chefs and have restaurants and opened restaurants. But I felt like with my demeanor and everything that I would have been really suitable for the front of house. And did you feel like you were taking a risk or taking one for the team? Um, Yeah, but I've always, I feel like I am like very much a team player. And sometimes I forget that it's a competition still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So walk us through what happened. <laughs> so Restaurant Wars, I pick front of house and I decide to do a dessert. We also decided to make beignets because it's a Gulf Coast themed restaurant and I'm from New Orleans. And so I did all of my prep and then I had three hours to get the dining room and the train the servers. And for front of house for people who may not know is like uh, servers, uh, maitre d', anything that like people that guests interact with. Yes, in the dining room. Yes. And so I'm like, where do I start? There's so much stuff. (laughs) Um, I liked decorating. I think everyone kind of had the same problems, but my my restaurant was not even a restaurant whenever we walked in. So trying to get the dining room set, trying to find my tables, and then getting the service train in three hours was a push. And it seemed like everybody had problems with the servers. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how they bring in enough servers for restaurant yeah. wars, but you're in Kentucky, yeah. and it looked like a lot of these people had not had serving experience. Yeah. I don't know, but I found out quickly <laughs> that I can't train people in less than three hours um, to run a service. But I think that when it came down to everything, it was communication between my team from the front of house, from the back of house especially, that was our downfall. Got it. And so what your restaurant was called onto the carpet for was that people were waiting Mm -hmm. a long time. The wait was like an hour plus. The camera captured one person pulling out a banana because they were so hungry, which also is very smart. Everybody should be in charge of their own (laughs) hanger. Um, And you ultimately got sent home. Yeah. Okay. But then there's something called Last Chance Kitchen. There's like a lot of elements of Top Chef. So you got a second chance to come back Mm -hmm. on the show. Tell me a little bit about that experience. So um, Last Chance Kitchen is whenever anyone gets eliminated, they kind of battle it out to get back in. And this year they brought vets from other seasons, and Brother is one of them, and that's my competitor that I had to go against to get back into the house. That dude is intimidating. I know, and he's really tall. He's, like, (laughs) tall, but he's so nice. So nice. Good, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And I think we have a clip from Last Chance Kitchen, so let's watch that. Yeah. What is happening right now? What up, y'all? I see Brother Luck. He's cutting up some vegetables, eliminated chefs from our season, from seasons past. Keep going, keep going, Nene. We have no idea what's going on. This is crazy. Welcome to the Last Chance Kitchen. Yes, chef. Nene and brother are battling it out. Whoever wins is going back into the competition today. Wow. Okay, so in this clip, you have all of the remaining contestants come on, and they are helping to sous chef, either for you or for brother. Yes. What was that like? They were clearly surprised. It was... I designed the menu to where whatever time he was going to give me, I could maybe do myself. Right, because it was a surprise that you were going to have help. Yeah, I didn't know I was going to have help. I didn't even know how long I would have to do the three-course meal. And so it was kind of a relief, but then kind of another stress to have all of this help because, one, I have to tell them what to do, and, two, I have to work with everyone's strengths. 
And I think I have an advantage because brother doesn't know any of these people. Right. So I have David, Michelle, Eric, Justin, and Brandon trying to give everyone a task, figure out and make sure everything tastes good in less than an hour for three courses is a push. So Justin Mm -hmm. was the head chef of your team during Restaurant Wars, and he was the one who you felt threw you under the bus a little bit, didn't accept (laughs) enough responsibility for his own role in that communication breakdown. And then you pulled his name as one of your sous chefs, and you could see on your face that you had some feelings about it. Yeah. But also, he he seemed to be trying to maybe, like, make it up to you. Yeah. Did you feel that? I did. I did. I felt like... um, Anybody in the service industry will know, like things will be said, things will happen, and then it all blows over after service. And I kind of feel that way here. It was crappy how everything, whatever happened, but I think that at the end, it wasn't malicious. When you're in front of the judges and you're scared to go home, like things might happen and, you know, you don't want to go home. There was no hard feelings, and I really felt like he tried his best. And he's so funny. So he's it's like I can't even I can't even be mad at him because he was just he's hilarious. You guys definitely had the team that I would most want to hang out with. Yeah. <laughs> I am just like, who is this person and why are they here and what do I have to do? But he was a really nice and very um, humble competitor. And he's just like, you're going to have to fight me for it. I'm not going to give it to you. And he beat me through a three-course meal to get back into the house. And so I my concept, I guess his was kind of the same. It's like mine was as if the Mekong Delta and the Mississippi Delta met because I'm Vietnamese and I am from New Orleans. Yeah. It really seemed to reflect your own identity. And I was really happy that you got that chance to sort of execute your your realized vision for this yeah. restaurant Delta that I hope to one day eat at. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your background. So you're first generation Vietnamese American. Yes. And how did you find your way to cooking? I, my family, we all, I mean, I feel like a lot of families, they love to cook. And as a kid, I would always go to the farmer's market with my grandmother on like Saturday mornings. And you'd have to go really early. Like if you got to the farmer's market around seven, you were too late. This was before like farmer's markets were cool. And I would go every week with my grandmother and we would go shopping and make us like a fancy dish. And we pretty much ate Vietnamese food growing up until until like I was like eight. And I would cook with her. And it was just so satisfying. She would always tell everyone that I made it, even though I was probably like six. I don't know. I just fell in love with it. And, and I always knew that I loved food, but it wasn't until I was about to graduate college that I decided to like take the leap. And New Orleans has a big Vietnamese population, mm-hmm. right? I think maybe first or second, along with the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where I grew up. Yeah, I, I think Seattle, it's maybe like third, but I, I think Houston has a lot of uh, Vietnamese people now too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you sort of meld the flavors of New Orleans with the flavors of, of Vietnam. And your yeah. brother as well yeah. was a cook, right? Yes, my brother decided to be a chef. And sometimes I feel like, not to take credit, but he kind of followed into my steps because we, we would watch like Food Network as kids and we would play like Iron Chef and he Iron would Chef all, Japan or Iron Chef America. It was Japan, and so we would. The, 
obviously the better one. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the only one that was on when we, when we were kids. Yeah. And so then we would always play as if we were Iron Chef. And I was always the chef and he was always the Sue. And so it was kind of our life. And my brothers, what inspired me to really do this because a couple of years back, Top Chef wanted to cast me and I, I couldn't do it because my brother was terminally ill and he ended up passing away, but he really wanted me to leave and go and do it because he was scared I wasn't going to have the opportunity. And so I'm very happy that I got the opportunity now. And I did it pretty much for him because I was like, I don't know if I want to be on TV <laughs> and um, cooking in front of the nation and messing up and stuff. But well, I'll bet he would be really, really proud of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned, well, talk to us a little bit about like what life is like when you are a contestant on this show. You said that you're, you know, sequestered. Yeah. And you don't really know what's going on in the outside world. Everything is mediated through producers. Exactly. What was that like? It was, um, it was very different. There's pros and cons. We didn't have our cell phones. We didn't have anything for entertainment. So we had no choice but to make friends in the house, which I'm so grateful for. I think uh, if it was just a competition and everyone was just doing their thing and never, it, it would have never been the same experience. Filming is very long. You're under all of these like stressful circumstances that any minute that you have, you might not want to use it to do other things and and try to relax as much as you can in between. What do you do once you're no longer in competition, but you're in sort of like the the holding chamber for mm-hmm. the next few months? Did you get like really good at boggle or like yeah. what did you do with your time? You find hobbies. You um, what did I do? I got to explore a lot. We had a lot of fun. We would watch movies, go to theme parks. It was kind of a vacation, so it was a hard sell being on that side and being like, do you want to go in Last Chance Kitchen and go back into that very stressful thing <laughs> that you might win a lot of money for? Right. But all in all, I it was a great experience to experience both. I wish that you could see the other sides of Restaurant Wars because I felt like I was very assertive. I learned everyone's name. And at the end of the service, everyone like knew me. And I felt like they would want to work for me because... If I walked in the dining room and I had something dirty in my hand, someone would grab it because they knew that that wasn't my job, that they weren't doing their job if I'm doing it. And it's sad because like I feel like that's the way I manage people, and I feel like that is the best way to retain employees is to show everyone respect. And I wish that that is shown a lot more on the show because I think that that's really the dynamic that has been changing. And so I feel like I've always kind of t- taken care of my cooks. And if I ever needed anything, I could call them now, even if they're working at another place and they would help me. And it, that's something that you don't learn. And when you're yelling at people, you don't necessarily foster. So sometimes it's like I wanted to call like bullshit on the show and just be like, I am very assertive. And so I took that personally because I... I even told Tom, I was like, I've never been told that I wasn't assertive enough. Mm. And so to hear that, it was a shock. I mean, I think that's a great lesson, though, that you can be assertive and you can be 
a goddamn boss yeah. while still also listening to people and having empathy mm-hmm. and being kind. And, you know, especially here in New York, a lot of people who work the line or, you know, who work on the floor are immigrants. Mm-hmm. And you yourself come from, yeah. you know, that background. Your parents are both immigrants. Can yeah. you tell me a little bit in this moment of anti-immigrant yeah. sentiment about yeah. what you're trying to accomplish with the type of food that you're putting out there? Yeah, I. Um, so my parents came here in the 70s. They were kids. They were refugees. It was after the Vietnam War. And my family moved to New Orleans where my uncles made crab traps. My grandmother shucked oysters. And so it was very um, seafood-centric where my family worked. And and I think that's probably where the start of my love for food is. You'll see something that's kind of like a bang mi or pho on the menu. And I think that it's a beautiful thing. There's New Orleans is really a melting pot with so many different cultures. And to introduce a new one, it's like this is kind of my story. I, this is I am a product of what happens when people come together. I think that's such a good point, too, that New Orleans cuisine is a pastiche of all of these different cultures that have landed there by choice or not over centuries and that it's evolving and growing and Mm -hmm. and richer for immigrant populations. Yeah, I'm very fortunate to have come from a place that's so welcoming and they embrace just everything. And so... Shout out to New Orleans. <laughs> who dat? My eggs, who dat? <laughs> who dat indeed. <laughs> um, well, Nini Wynn, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> Top Chef fan knows volunteering as front of house tribute during restaurant wars can lead to glory or disgrace. While Nini Wynn was sent packing for her mismanagement of the service staff, the chef who eventually won the episode worked front of house on the triumphant team. Front of house work is notoriously thankless. As the people who interact with guests directly, they're the ones who take the blame and feel the ire of hangry diners. To tell us how harrowing this work can be, we're joined by Alejandra Guanipa, currently the wine director at Romans in Fort Greene, but someone with years of experience at the front of the house. Thanks so much for joining us, Ale. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. So in addition to currently being at Romans, you were at Diner, you were at Franny's, all these restaurants, perennially busy, and they don't take reservations. Yes. So tell us a little bit about some of the things that people may underestimate about front of house staff. What is the most difficult thing about your job? Uh, the assumption that you are there only for them when you, in fact, are, you know, spread thin through 40 different kinds of people who are all clamoring for your attention all at the same time. Right. So we just talked to Nini. And as we mentioned, she was sent home because she volunteered to be front of house and it didn't go so great. Mm-hmm. So on Top Chef, you have all of these high powered chef testants. And one of them has to be front of house for restaurant wars. And I think a lot of people assume the position thinking that maybe it'll be easier. Do you ever get into that with chefs, that chefs maybe undervalue the work that the front of house staff does? I mean, if if that has happened, it's been a long time in my memory to the point that I think that, no. I think that the colleagues that I that I work with that and have worked with, we both have this mutual respect of how hard each other's jobs are. There are many, you know, like 
there are times that you're staring at the past and you're like, give me that salad right now. And this, and he's like, well, I only have two hands. I can only move so fast. Uh, and, and I remember chefs who would be like, slow down the door. And you're like, what? You know, so like we we can push and pull, but for the most part, we have mutual respect for how hard each of our jobs are. Right. Um, and from your perch at the front of the house, is humanity essentially good or bad? Whoa. Um, <laughs> you see the best and worst of people. So what do you think? I mean, I would say transparency and honesty and humanity will walk you half the way. So when you are running late on a table or their food, it's taking a while, you know, it's saying saying so and being human about it usually takes you ha- halfway, you know, of, um, hey, I'm sorry, we're running a little behind on your table. Fill in blank. But you are at least acknowledging to them that their weight is real or right. that their their needs will be met. Just give me a moment and I'll get to you. These just seem like really good relationship 101 skills, like validating people's feelings, Absolutely. showing that you're listening, Absolutely. being empathetic. Absolutely. And, you know, and then the same the same way for when their food's taking a long while. It's just like, hey, sorry, we had to refire your food. Give us a moment to make that up. But then you have the tools in your arsenal of how to iron those those little wrinkles of like free wine. Well, my God, I pour so much free wine, it's not even funny. Um, But also just like, hey, the kitchen had to maybe refire your pastas. That's a long fire. In the meantime, here's a salad to kind of hold you up. And, you know, those are little little tools that, yes, cost the house money. But at the same time, you are ironing lots of glitchy stuff. So you've seen people at their worst, uh, as we talked about. Can you tell us a couple horror stories? I took notes. Uh, it was at Franny's, and it was, you. I mean, you probably remember this. Uh, Franny's was really, really busy. Doors open at 5.30, and there is a line out the door piling up already. Was this at Old Franny's or New Franny's? Old Franny's. Old Franny's. So small space. and the 40, wait, 45 seats. And the wait was like, you know, an hour, hour and a half, yeah. two hours. Mm-hmm. When we're about to, like, everybody in positions, and we're looking at the line, and we're like, okay, here we go. Doors open. How does the host and AKA manager, because we do everything, um, how do you act as a, as a bottleneck to kind of pause? Because if you take every person in there to fill all of your seats, you just slam the kitchen and you're kind of A, setting yourself up for every seating from there on to follow the same cyclical like So you pace. have to stagger the first seating even though you have a line of people and waiting even though, to be sat. And even though you have empty tables to do that. Right. So, you know, you're and you're looking at people who are like, give me, give me 20 minutes, give me 15 minutes. And they're like, what about that table right there? Right. And you're just like, well, do you really want to be served in a timely manner? Because if I sit you there, yeah, your butt's on a chair, but there is no one to take care of you because here we are being spread thin across, you know, 40 others different seats. So there, that was the first challenge. And then this man who's at, not even at the end of the line, but he's with small children. At this point, it's maybe like 545 when he finally makes it to the door to talk to the host. And the host says, you know, it's going to be about an hour. And he's like, you just fucking opened. How is that an hour? You have to be kidding me. And he's slamming his his hand on the on the host stand. How is that an hour? You're always having an hour away. This is ridiculous. This always takes so long. And I get I get involved in the like, well, maybe it should be better for you if you get a pizza to go, man. Because even if we get you seated in an hour, like we've 
our relationship from here on is just deteriorating. Yeah, you've just taken your ham fist and slammed it. it, it and you're calling my, my host, host an idiot, right. you know? And you're like, I think we're done here. And so you're just like, well, maybe it's better if you take a pizza to go. And he's like, well, how long is that going to take? And I go and I check in with Chef. And he's like, pizza to go, 30 minutes. And it's like, eh, it's 30 minutes. So no way you're looking good, no matter how you look at it. And he's just cursing and throwing F-bombs around. And I just kind of said, like, well... How, it might be time for a frozen pizza then. Get the f*** <laughs> out of here. May I recommend DiGiorno's? Yeah, yeah, no. But, you know, and you never you never show any sort of, like, hostility to the guests. Like, he's not really... Eh, it depends. I guess that depends on what. Uh, but there, there is a moment of just, like, you know, I really don't think that I can help you anymore. Right. So talk to me about Diners with Children, because we are in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, Stroller Central. Franny's, I know, had an early seating that was just full up on kids. Yeah. Do you have any tips for parents who are taking small children to restaurants? I mean, I always appreciate when diners bring their own entertainment for their children, you know, whether that is via crayons. I hate the digital world of children, but you know what? They're, they're trying to enjoy an adult time with either their spouse or their friends it might be time for the iPad to come out and, you know, put put a cork on the kid. Or also find a babysitter. You know, like the, the parents who are mindful of those factors, those are the ones that actually become the most graceful parents to, to wait on. So plan ahead. Bring an avocado or some Cheerios if you know that your kid's about to lose it. I think that's a that's great advice for adults as well. <laughs> yes, carry some trail mix or an avocado. Yeah. Like in your don't bag. don't yeah. wait until you're hangry and then take it out on your host We've because they're telling. Yeah, <laughs> um, our producer Ross has a question. Is it okay to send food back? Of course it is. I mean, I guess. I'm in the business of uh, trying to give you what you want, and if there is something that is you, is just not to your liking. Say it kindly, say it, say it honestly, be proactive about it, but absolutely. Uh, give me a chance to fix it. Right. We're here in the business of trying to make you happy. Like the, We're all imperfect. I'm human. The chef is human. The cooks are human. If you tell me within a, a good timely frame, the chef will make you whatever else. And that's really no skin off our backs. What is one piece of advice that you would leave our viewers with about how to be better guests and maybe exercise more empathy to the people who are working front of house. I mean, uh, please and thank yous. Simple. Pretty simple. Your mom taught you. Yeah. Please and thank yous. That goes a long way. Like, I don't I don't need to be chit-chatty. I don't need you to be my best friend. I certainly don't need to be your best friend. But a please and a thank you, we're good. I think everyone can handle that. Everyone should so. be able to handle that. <laughs> um, Ale, thank you so much for coming on the thank show. Thank you so much for us. having me. This was so much fun. Yay. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back on Friday with filmmaker Astra Taylor to talk about her new documentary, What is Democracy? And to tell us about some recent democracy in action, in Albany, where Big D Democrats are now in power, Jarrett Murphy from City Limits will drop by. Hope you can join us. And if you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe to Brick TV on YouTube and the 112BK podcast to let us know you care.
Moment to BK is hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hogsegg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Pointzolo, edited by Mira Al-Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leith, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham. 